0: We'll begin with Galatians 6 verse 6, which is the next verse in our study through Galatians. I discussed verses 1 through 5 in the last lesson. And today, verse 6, Paul writes that the one who is taught the message must share his goods with the teacher. So today, I'm going to teach about a subject that I would probably never teach on if I didn't go verse by verse in the Bible. It's an uncomfortable subject for a pastor to talk about, um, at least I think that it should be uncomfortable. It's not so uncomfortable for some pastors today. I did air quotes for those of you that are listening by way of audio. <laughs> but the topic is supporting pastors financially. So this is a little bit awkward for me to teach about this today. I opened up with Galatians 6, verse 6. We learn that the one who is taught the message, that means students or those who sit under a teacher of the law and of the gospel, must share his goods or all good things with the teacher. Now goods are good things, as some Bible translations say. That could be anything from like garden produce to a wine vintage to silver or gold or money. According to this verse in Galatians 6, verse 6, it is a righteous and necessary thing to support a genuine teacher of spiritual things with material things. Now, before I explain this more, I want to ask ourselves, why does Paul write this here in Galatians 6, verse 6? Because at first, when I begin to study, it seems like it's out of kilter. It seems like it's out of context with what he's been talking about. But it's actually not. Um, He's just talked about rescuing a brother or sister who has been overtaken in a wrongdoing. And he's talked about examining our own works in the faith. So what does that have to do with supporting a teacher financially? Well, nothing specifically. It doesn't have anything to do specifically with verses 1 through 5. But generally, it has everything to do with the context of Galatians 5 verse 13... All the way through Galatians 6 verse 10. What I think Paul is doing here from 5.13 to six verse ten is he's describing what it looks like to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Remember he told us in Galatians 5 that the whole law is fulfilled in one word or one statement. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. From that point on he begins to teach us various ways in which we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. For example, he says we walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. We operate in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's something that we are supposed to uh, endeavor to be active in our life when we're dealing with people, loving people. We don't become conceited, Paul writes at the end of chapter 5. We don't provoke one another. We restore a fallen brother or sister with a gentle spirit. We carry one another's burdens. We examine our own works instead of comparing ourselves with ourselves. And then we supply a pastor and teacher with our goods. All of these are ways in which we love our neighbor. And that's the context of 5.13 through 6.10. In 6.11, Paul begins his conclusion to the letter and we'll get to that next month. But here he's talking about loving our neighbor. This is part of what it means to fulfill the law of loving your neighbor as you love yourself. To provide for those who teach you the proper understanding of the Scriptures. Now, just a really side note. I'm going to be real brief and quick with this. I took a page of notes out of my sermon. But if you're reading the King James Version, it uses the word communicate. And that might throw you off because in our vernacular, in our language today, in modern ways of speaking, we think of communicate as just speaking to one another. But in Old English, the word communicate meant to share or provide for. And I can show you that if you want to see that in other passages. So KJV communicate is the same thing as sharing one's goods. Now, why is this required? Why is it that we should support those genuine teachers that we learn from in the faith? Well, a man who spends his time studying the Word and then teaching those studies to a community is laboring. It is spiritual labor, but it is nonetheless labor. And a laborer is worthy of being paid. So, if a man comes to work with me for one day, he deserves to be compensated for his work. I'm speaking of manual physical labor now. A person... Catch this, a person can choose to give his labor to you as a gift or a volunteer. If one of you guys need help at your house with some work, I can choose to go to your house and I can say, Look, I don't want any pay. I'm giving you my labor as a gift. I want to help you out as a brother or a sister in the faith. And that is an option that I have. But it is never wrong for a person who works to want to be paid at the end of a day's work. Never wrong. If someone does work for you, you should pay them unless they tell you they offer their services as a gift or a volunteer. We should never take advantage of a person's labor or a person's work. Now, this applies, what I've just said in the natural, applies to pastoring teachers. Men who labor at studying and teaching can refuse to take material support if they so choose or... They can take material support. It's not wrong either way. If I go and I teach somewhere and I've put in hours or days or weeks or months and sometimes years of study just to be able to teach a comprehensive course or sometimes a one-hour sermon, I have put in years and years of study and I can bring forth a one-hour sermon in a way that makes it easier to understand for those that are being taught. That's a lot of labor involved there. I do not have to take up an offering, but it is not wrong for me to receive an offering for my labor, my travel, and my time. Now, let me explain to you what I practice in my life. I've learned to do this over the years, and this is what I'm comfortable with doing. I never ask for an offering. As a matter of fact, we never take up an offering here. I've had a lot of people come and visit the congregation, and after the second or third time, they come up to me after the service, and they whisper in my ear, and they say, Brother Matthew, what if we want to give by offering? We notice you don't ever take up an offering. And I guess that's because most churches you go to, they say, Oh, it's offering time, right? <laughs> somebody I was talking to the other day said that, I can't remember who it was, it was either them or somebody that they knew visited a congregation and they had a whole service called a tithing service. Mm-hmm. And the service was solely dedicated to giving your tithes and your offerings to the church. Now, I believe in giving. I believe in supporting genuine teachers. I believe in supporting widows and orphans and the poor people. I believe in all of that, charitable contributions. But I don't believe in pressuring people to give. I believe if Yahweh has put it in a person's heart to give, that they will do that and they do not have to be pressured or really even asked. We have never done without in this congregation and we very rarely ever talk about this subject. So I never ask for an offering, whether it be here or anywhere that I go to teach. I study, I go, I teach, I don't ask anybody to give me anything. I don't have offering time, and I for sure don't try to pressure people into giving. But I do accept offerings when people give them to me. Why? Because a worker deserves to be paid. I spend a lot of time laboring in the Word, and it is not wrong to receive financial support for my labor or my work. Why is this a difficult or an awkward sermon? Very, very awkward for me to be talking about this today. I was writing this out and I thought, man, should I skip over verse 6? But no, that wouldn't be teaching the whole council like Paul says in Acts chapter 20. So we want to teach the whole council. That's why it's very beneficial to teach verse by verse because you come across verses that probably you wouldn't normally pick out to teach on. But you get to them and you have to study and you teach. So, I'm going to go over some additional Bible verses on this matter here shortly. But I want to talk just briefly a little bit about why this is a difficult subject to teach. For starters, I worry about how I sound. (laughs) What I mean is I worry that I sound like I'm asking for money. But I'm not. I promise you. (laughs) I've worked very hard over the last 22 years. My wife and I have been married just about 22 years. I've worked very hard. My wife has worked very hard. Working work in labor with these two hands right here. They've got bumped, bruised, scratched, splinters in many, many times. And we do manual labor with our own hands to supply our needs. And I sometimes receive money from people or offerings from people, whether they be produce or a coffee or whatever that somebody gives me. I receive that from people who give to me for my ministry. Um, the word ministry Very profound when you study the meaning of that word. It comes from the Latin ministerium. And it means to serve. It means to serve. We think it's a very prestigious word. People put a plaque on the door. You know, minister's office or minister Jansen or minister whatever. But it means a servant. And so as I minister, as I serve the people, as I labor for the people, I I don't have any problem if somebody says, Hey, Brother Matthew, I want to bless you with this for you or for your family. And I take it. I use it to fill my truck up with gas or I give it to teach you to buy groceries or something like that. So I do receive money for the ministry, have from time to time over the years, but I'm only teaching this sermon because it came up in our study through Galatians. Secondarily, and I believe this is the main reason that it's hard to teach on this subject, because there have been so many preachers on TV, radio, and now the Internet, who beg for money every single time you hear them preach. You can't turn on a TV preacher without hearing them say something about sowing a seed into their ministry. Mike Murdoch talks about the miracle of the $1,000 seed. Creflo Dollar talks about the $1,000 seed. Creflo Dollar wanted to take up an offering and start a fundraiser for the congregation that he pastored to buy him a $64 million jet so that he can quote-unquote preach the gospel. Nobody needs a $64 million jet to preach the gospel. I should get several amens on that. <laughs> so, it's awful. And not only do these people beg for money, they live lavish lifestyles. I said they live lavish lifestyles. <laughs> I am not against a man working a good, honest job and becoming rich. There were many righteous men in the Bible that were rich. Abraham was rich. We've read about, who was it? Jacob it says he was rich a couple of chapters ago. Job was rich. Job chapter 1. I have no problem with that. That is fine so long as the riches do not interfere with the man's relationship to Yahweh. Uh, The Bible talks about or Yeshua taught a parable about a man that was rich in the world's goods but not rich towards Yahweh. But it is possible with Yahweh. It's impossible with man. But with Yahweh, it's possible for a man to be rich in the world's goods and to be rich towards Yahweh. So I don't have any problem with that. But I am against a man being a full-time preacher and living a lavish lifestyle with the financial support that he receives solely from the ministry i'm against that i do not believe that supporting a pastor a full-time pastor that foregoes working a regular job and is full-time in the ministry i believe that he should live with among the means of the average person in the congregation i don't believe he should live above i don't believe he should live in poverty I'm against not only the prosperity gospel, but I'm also against the poverty gospel, right? Some people think you have to be poor in order to be righteous. (laughs) I don't believe in that gospel either. I'm against both of them, um, be that as it may. So, enlisting the qualifications for being a pastor or an overseer, Paul says in both 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1 that the elders should not be greedy for money, The Apostle Peter echoes Paul, and Peter says that the elders should oversee. That's what the word bishop means, one who sees over the affairs of the community. The bishop should oversee because he's eager to serve the people, and not because he desires their money. That's 1 Peter 5 verse 2. The old King James called it greedy of filthy lucre, which means dishonest gain. Nobody should ever enter the ministry because it is a money-making job. That's because it's not supposed to be a job where you get rich off of, even though that's what it's become in our modern-day society. What is taking place today in the name of Christ is shameful. I'm totally against it. I don't want to have anything to do with it whatsoever. A full-time minister can be fully supported by those that he is teaching, but he should be made to live comfortably but not rich. And if somebody in the community or the congregation is lacking, the pastor should have no problem with offerings or charitable gifts going to people who are in need. Listen, no minister needs a $64 million jet to preach the gospel. Or Kenneth Copeland, you say, well, his wasn't $64 million yet, yeah, but his was $54 million. You don't need a $54 million jet to preach the gospel either. No minister of the gospel needs an expensive suit and tie set to make his message sound better. No pastor needs to spend the night in a $5,000 a night hotel room that his church pays for. Benny Hinn. Do ministers need clothes? Of course. Do they need to eat? Of course. Do ministers sometimes need travel expenses? Sure. If I travel somewhere to preach or to evangelize... There would be nothing wrong for the congregation here paying for my airplane ticket or for my gas or for my food while I'm away. There would be nothing wrong with me getting a daily allowance so that my family is taken care of. But those would be my needs. An airline ticket, you know, if you fly coach, which that's fine, even to a faraway place. I mean, I've, I've flown a pretty good bit. Might be three, four, maybe 500 if you hit it at the wrong time. That's to an even far away place. But it's not $54 million, that's for sure. Do you know how many widows and orphans you could help with $54 million? Man, you could help so many people with that much money. It's ridiculous for a pastor to say that he needs that jet. Those that are taught the Word must share their goods with the teacher. Galatians 6.6 6, But the teacher is not allowed to make merchandise of the people. And that's what's been done by so many preachers today. They peddle the Bible. You've heard of a peddler that goes about in a town selling his wares. They peddle the Bible. 2 Peter 2, 1-3 speaks of greedy ministers who make merchandise of people. The New Living Translation puts it like this. It says that in their greed they will make up clever lies to get a hold of your money. I don't think it could be any plainer. 2 Peter chapter 2. Verses 1 through 3 false prophets will arise making up clever lies to get a hold of your money. Apostle Peter told us way back then. Maybe he was a prophet. These modern day preachers, quote unquote, they hide their gimmick behind the Bible and they claim to offer healing and prosperity if only you will send a seed offering, quote unquote, to their ministry. They actually teach that you can buy a miracle. They teach that. It doesn't take much searching on YouTube to verify what I'm telling you. Punch in greedy prosperity preachers on YouTube and you know, you'll know you be entertained for a long time. It makes me nauseous. It makes me upset. And then you have some little elderly widow woman sitting in her home that doesn't know any better and she sins them $1,000 because she thinks that they're sincere. Yuck. It's pitiful. It's a shame. Now, that I've vented a little bit, let's get back to the Word. We do not want to overreact to the abuse of the Gospel. What I think that we do, what I think Brother Matthew has done, and what we do a lot, is we see all of this nonsense and we try to move as far away from it as we can. Because we don't want anything. I don't want anything to do with Kenneth Copeland, Gloria Copeland, Creflo Dollar, Benny Hinn. I don't want anything to do with any of them. They're false prophets. I don't want to have anything to do with any of them. So I get as far away from them as I can. But what happens is sometimes we go to the other extreme and we end up thinking, well, it's wrong for a minister to be paid at all. And we are overreacting to the abuse of the gospel. We let the abuse turn us away from the proper use. Never let the abuse of something turn you away from its proper use. You see somebody abusing something that maybe Yahweh allows in a certain form and you want to get as far away from it as you can and then you start teaching against that something when really what you should do is let's see what the Scriptures have to say. Don't base your position off of an overreaction or even a reaction to an abuse. Always go back to what the Scriptures have to say. And the Scriptures teach us here in Galatians 6, 6 and elsewhere that it is proper and it is required that pastoring teachers be compensated for their work in the ministry. Now, let's look at a few parallel texts that go along with Galatians 6, verse 6. The first one is going to be in Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew chapter 10, Yeshua the Messiah, He sends out His 12 disciples. The disciple is a student or a pupil. He sends out his 12 personal students and he gives them the gift to be able to heal people of sickness and disease. And he gives them the authority over all demonic, unclean activity. That's two separate things. Demonic, unclean activity is separate there in Matthew 10 from sickness and disease. So he gives them this authority and in verses 5-8 through he says this, Don't take the road leading to other nations and don't enter any Samaritan town. Instead, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Because the Israelites were supposed to be the first to hear the gospel. Not the nations, but the Israelites. Verse 7. As you go, announce this. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with skin diseases, and drive out demons. You have received free of charge. Give free of charge. Now, if we stopped right there, or if Yeshua stopped right there, we would get the impression that we or the disciples were not allowed to receive any compensation for their ministry. Yeshua did not charge them for the authority that he bestowed upon them when he granted them or gave them the gift of to be able to heal. He didn't charge them money and say, "All right, Peter, let me see a hundred shekels. All right, Paul, let me see, or or James, let me see a hundred shekels, or so forth and so on." You've received your power freely, he tells them. So therefore, use your gift freely. Don't charge for these things. When you heal somebody, remember Peter in Acts chapter three. He told the lame man, "Silver and gold have I none." Nowadays, preachers say, "Silver and gold have we plenty." Oral Roberts actually said that before he prayed over Kenneth Copeland. I saw the video. He said, Silver and gold have I plenty. And then everybody laughed like it was a game. But the Apostle Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. And he used his gift of healing to heal this lame man that had been lame for all of these years. And he, he rose up and he, and he walked. And he jumped and he leaped. And he praised Yahweh the Father. Hallelujah. So, When we read the next two verses in Matthew 10, though, what we see is that Yeshua is telling His disciples, when He says, freely you've received, freely give, He's teaching His disciples not to exploit people. They are not supposed to go around asking for monetary support or put a price on a healing or on a teaching. That's why I've never felt comfortable with putting a price on on my sermons or my studies or anything like that. Freely I've received, freely I give, right? So they were just to do the work of the ministry freely, but what that does not mean is that if they are given support that they must deny it. It doesn't mean that. And we see this from the next verses. Verses 9 through 10. He says, "Don't take along gold, silver, or copper for your money belts. Don't take a traveling bag for the road, or an extra shirt, sandals, or a walking stick." And then he tells them why. Why 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 should we not take these master? For the worker is worthy Of his food. Trust. I'll take care of you. Trust. You'll be supplied for. That last phrase, the worker is worthy of his food, is spoken in the context of not taking with them these other items. They were not to take these things because as they performed the work of the ministry, some of the people who they helped spiritually would give to them materially. So if they needed some gold or silver to pay for a stay at an inn, Or if they needed a new pair of sandals, let's say they came into a house that received them. It was a house of peace. A house that was worthy of the gospel of the kingdom. And they received a disciple in. And the husband of the house, he said, I've noticed that your sandals are worn out and the straps are not even on there and we'd like to give you a pair of new sandals for your next trip. There would be nothing wrong with Peter or Andrew or taking those pair of sandals and saying thank you because the worker is worthy of his, of his meat or of his food or of his, of his pay. Next, we have Luke chapter 10. It's a similar account, but it's a little bit different because here Yeshua sends out 70 men in pairs, 35 pairs of men. And He sends them out ahead of them to every town that He was planning on going to. Here's what He told these men. Verses 2-7, through 7, Luke chapter 10, "...the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few." Notice that word workers. Therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into His harvest. Now go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Don't carry a money bag, traveling bag, or sandals. Don't greet anyone along the road. Whatever house you enter, first say peace to this household. If a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they offer, for the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't be moving from house to house. Yeshua calls these men workers, and He tells them to eat and drink what the household of peace that receives them offers. Why? Because the worker is worthy of his wages. This is Torah, actually. This is the law of Moses. How that you are supposed to pay a man that works for you. He's pulling that out of the law of Moses and applying it here to the ministers of the gospel. So the workers of spiritual things are compensated here with material things. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is the next passage I'd like to go to. And I want to go here because this is the same author of the book of Galatians. Paul wrote Galatians and Paul wrote the epistle, first and second epistle to the Corinthians. I'm not going to comment on every verse But what you'll see here is that Paul is writing in this chapter about his right or his authority to take material or financial compensation for spiritual or ministerial labor. 1 Corinthians 9 verses 4 through 6. Don't we have the right to eat and drink? Don't we have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife like the other apostles, the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working. When Paul writes here to refrain from working, he's speaking of refraining from working a regular job. And the reason he has the right or the authority to refrain from working a regular job is so that he can keep his mind focused on the spiritual labor and the spiritual work of the Almighty. Remember Yeshua in Luke chapter 10, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Yeshua speaks here of a spiritual harvest of people for the kingdom and workers who do the work in the ministry that teach the people about the kingdom. Paul is saying that he and Barnabas, which Barnabas was Paul's co-worker and laborer in the ministry for a lot of the book of Acts once Paul was converted and believed in the Messiah. Paul is saying he and Barnabas have the right to refrain from working a regular job in order to focus on the work of the ministry. And therefore be given to materially or financially. Verses 7 through 10 say this Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit, who shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk from the flock? Simple analogies, very easy to understand. In verse 8, he says, Am I saying this from a human perspective? Doesn't the law also say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is the Almighty really concerned with oxen? Or isn't He really saying it for us? Yes, this is written for us, because he who plows ought to plow in hope. And he who threshes should do so in hope of shearing the crop. So Paul now goes from his simple analogies of Who goes to war at their own expense? And who has a goat and doesn't drink from the milk from the nanny goat? He goes from those simple things to saying, look, I'm not just saying these things as a man. The law backs me up. He pulls from the standard of Yahweh, which is the holy law, the law of Moses, the law that Yahweh gave through Moses' mouth. Paul quotes Deuteronomy chapter 25 verse 4, which is initially about oxen, That are used to thresh grain. Now, in old times, oxen were used to tread out grain and they were freely walking around on stalks of grain that were laid on a threshing floor. And as the ox was taught to walk or poked to walk in a circle, Grain on the stalk that was laid on the floor would fall off. And some people, as you see on the video, still use this method today. As a matter of fact, if you look at this, people still say today that this is the superior way to thresh grain. Now the law of Moses taught that out of respect for the animal. How many know the Torah teaches us to respect animals? A righteous man regards the life of his animal. But the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel, the Bible says. So in the law of Moses, out of respect for the animal, as the animal worked and labored for you, you were not supposed to put a muzzle over the ox's mouth so that he couldn't eat. If he wanted to bend down and eat while he was working, that's what you were to allow him to do. Why? Because he was working for your benefit, so you needed to benefit him as well and make sure he got to eat. So Paul's point here is that there's a principle in this law that teaches us to respect and pay those who work for us. Not just humans, but also animals are to be respected. So, a pastor and teacher is like the ox. In this sense, he labors in the study of the word to bring benefit to the people so that they better understand Yahweh's ways and how to serve him. If you don't pay a minister for his spiritual labor, it's the same thing as if you were to muzzle the mouth of one of those oxes or one of those cows. While they tread out the grain. 1 Corinthians nine eleven through 12 If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? Now verse 12, Paul says, If others share this authority over you, don't we even more? The, this rhetorical. The answer is yes. Paul has the authority. Not just for him to be supported, but even to take with him in his mission trips a believing wife. Even his family can be supported. But he says, However, we have not used this authority. Instead, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. Paul explains that he didn't use his authority in this matter, although there were sometimes in some congregations where he did take pay, specifically from the church at Philippi. I can show this in Philippians 4, 14-18. But most of the time, Paul wherever he would go and teach and perform the work of the ministry, he would still work and labor with his own hands to support himself. And he did this so as not to hinder the work of the gospel. In other words, so nobody could say, well, he's taking advantage of people by taking their money. It's not wrong to do that, and some people are going to falsely accuse you no matter what you do. But Paul forwent his right and his authority. That's what he's talking about here. So a pastoring teacher can choose to work and labor a regular job himself. I do the same. I've worked septic tanks for the last 22 years. And that's how I've supplied my my wife and my children. And then minimally, you know, if somebody says, Hey, Brother Matthew, here's an offering. I, I receive it. I don't reject it. I receive it. So the pastor has the right to not work a regular job as well or work a regular job. Either way is is perfectly fine, as long as he's a genuine man of of Yahweh. And the qualifications for a pastoring teacher or an elder, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, trust me, everybody that says, well, I've been called to preach, hasn't been called to preach. If they don't meet the qualifications, they haven't been called to be an elder. And the way that you know if a man meets the qualifications is not by the man saying, I think I meet them. No, it's by the community or the congregation recognizing these qualities or these criteria in an individual. So, let's continue on in verse 13 through 14. Paul says, Do you not know that those who perform the temple services eat the food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the offerings of the altar. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. Now, Paul goes to two more supporting points here. First, he speaks of those who perform the temple and the altar service. Who is he talking about? He's talking about the Levites, the tribe of Levi. I plan on teaching in the book of Numbers in the future, and Numbers has a lot to say about this particular tribe whom Yahweh was their inheritance. And it was the tribe of Levi, or we call them Levi, the Levites. And the Levites they didn't go out and work in the same way that the other tribes of Israel did. They were the teachers of the law, they were the judges of Israel, and they also were the people that worked at the temple or earlier at the tabernacle. And Paul wants his readers here to think about the tribe of Levi who performed sacrificial rites at the tabernacle and taught the law and judged difficult cases in Israel. And Paul is saying that these Levites, these ministers, these pastors, these teachers, they eat of the sacrifices and the offerings that are brought by the Israelites from the other tribes. Even though a Levite did not raise or take care of an animal, they would partake in the meat of the animal that the worshiper brought to be sacrificed. Same thing for the produce from somebody else's garden. As a matter of fact, 10% of the increase of what the other tribes of Israel made, produced, 10% of that increase went to the tribe of, of Levi. And then there was a special tithe for the high priest. And then there were even, there's even a scripture where even when the Levites receive that 10%, they even have to pay Yahweh 10% of that 10% um, for, from their behalf. But that's for another sermon for another time. But um, Paul is saying here that the Levites eat the sacrifices that the Israelites bring even though they don't take care of the animal, even though they don't have the garden. It's not their garden, but they still partake of 10% of the Israelite produce in the land. And then Paul speaks of here in verse 14, after he mentions the Levites, in verse 14 he says, In the same way, the Lord has commanded something. And I believe what Paul is talking about here is Matthew 10 and Luke 10. I think that Paul is speaking that the Lord, Yeshua the Messiah, commanded that those who preach the spiritual matters of the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. Now, it could be two two different things here. It could be that Matthew and Luke's writings were already in circulation at the time that Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. That's a possibility. It would be primitive form, sheets of papyrus, that's possible. Or it could be just that Yeshua's words were passed down orally, at this time early in the first century and people that followed Yeshua knew that Yeshua had commanded a worker is worthy of his wages. Uh, So it could go either way. But I think that's what it's talking about. The Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. Where? Luke 10, Matthew 10, a worker is worthy of his wages. The Lord has commanded means that what I'm talking about today is a law. It has the force of law. It is a commandment to financially and materially support genuine ministers of the Word. Did Yeshua add to the Torah here? No. Because we see the principle in support of the Levites. And we see the principle in not muzzling the ox that treads on the grain. And what Yeshua did was He pulled this principle from the Torah... And he applied it to supporting pastoring teachers who labor in the study and the teaching of the word. So there's no addition or subtraction from the law of Moses. It's just proper halakha or proper, the way to properly walk out the law. Yeshua is teaching us. Lastly, I'd like to go to a first century Christian document called the Didache. The word Didache is a Greek word that means teaching or instruction. It is believed that this particular document circulated among Gentile Christians in the early centuries A.D. This document is not Holy Scripture, but it does give us an idea of some of the thoughts of the earliest believers in the Messiah. And here's some of the things that this document says about paying ministers of the gospel. I find this fascinating. This is in chapter 11, verses 3-6. through It says this, And concerning the apostles and prophets, act thus according to the ordinance of the gospel. Let every apostle who comes to you be received as the Lord. But let him not stay more than one day, or if need be a second as well, but if he stays three days, he is a false prophet. (laughs) Now, that might... I haven't studied this enough, but it's possible that that might contradict Luke 10 verse 7. Now, there could be some intricacy in understanding. You know how sometimes even when we read the Bible, it seems like two passages might contradict at first, but then you get to study more and understand context and you recognize, oh, this dovetails. So in Luke 10 verse 7, remember Yeshua said, uh, Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they offer, for the worker is worthy of his wages, don't be moving from house to house. So it looks like Yeshua is talking about that when you find a house of peace, a house of shalom, and they're worthy household, and they receive you in, you're to remain there and not move from house to house. Luke 10. So this could contradict. It may not, but it may. But listen, here's a good thing for you to recognize. If it does contradict Luke 10, if it contradicts what Yeshua said, which one should we go with? Luke chapter 10, right. So it's okay to read these what we call these extra-biblical books, these apocryphal works, or even this first century Christian work, the Didache, it's okay to read these, but if you're ever reading like the book of Maccabees or the book of Esdras or Sirach or something like this, and it contradicts what the law and the prophets teach, and by law and prophets I'm including the Messiah in because He's the greatest prophet to ever live. If it contradicts it, you always stick with Holy Scripture. Now you might find out in a later study that, oh, this is how it harmonizes. But if you can't find out, stay with Scripture. Don't, don't interpret Scripture by what you read in the Didache. <laughs> interpret the Didache by what you read in Holy Scripture. Now, I like this next part. Verse 6, Didache 11. And when an apostle goes forth, let him accept nothing but bread till he reach his night's lodging. But if he asks for money, he is a false prophet. So we wipe out. Pretty much all the TBN preachers right there with that verse. Right he asked for money. He's a false prophet, right? Amen. So I don't think that the apostles were supposed to ask for money. Freely they had received their authority. Amen. Freely they gave. The key was though that if somebody offered them compensation, if somebody said, Here, we want to feed you tonight. Or here's a new pair of sandals. Or here's some gold or silver for your travel. They could receive it. But they weren't to peddle the gospel. I think that's the harmony there. So that's pretty strong. I would say that's very strong. And if that's all that the Didache said, we would be extremely wary of anybody who was paid in the ministry. But I want you to notice this next section in the same document, Didache chapter 13, 1 through 7. This is what it says. I think this goes right along with Scripture. But every true prophet who wishes to settle among you is worthy of his food. Likewise, a true teacher is himself worthy like the workman of his food. Therefore thou shalt take the first fruit of the produce of the winepress and of the threshing floor and of oxen and sheep and shalt give them as the firstfruits to the prophets for they are your high priests. But if you have not a prophet, give to the poor. I like that. If thou makest bread, take the firstfruits and give it according to the commandment. Likewise, when thou openest a jar of wine or oil, give the firstfruits to the prophets." Of money also, and clothes, and of all your possessions, take the first fruits as it seemed best to you, and give according to the commandment. First Corinthians nine fourteen, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live by the gospel. So the dedicate, just like holy scripture teaches us to be cautious about our giving, but it also teaches us to support genuine prophets and genuine teachers. In conclusion, Galatians 6 verse 6, the one who has taught the message must share his goods with the teacher. I'm teaching through Galatians, so I taught this message today. Not because I wanted to. (laughs) Not because I'm about to take up an offering. I'm not. But simply because I'm committed to teaching everything in Holy Scripture. I want at the end of my life, whenever that is, I want to be able to say, number one, I want to be able to hear, well done thou good and faithful slave. Enter into the joys of Yahweh. But I want to be able to say with the Apostle Paul in Acts 20 that I have not shrunk back, I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of the Almighty. So no matter what the subject is, if I get to it, I teach on it. If I don't understand it, I give you the best that I can to understand and pray that Yahweh sheds more light on it in the future. I'm committed to teaching everything in the scriptures. in hopes that, in hopes that, primarily all of you, this is my congregation, I got people that listen to me elsewhere, and that's great. And I love them all. But you always put me right here. To be a minister and a pastor to this community. To help this community first and foremost. And I hope that when I teach That you're not only encouraged and you're not only built up in the faith, but that you're more educated. So that when you hear something that is wrong, you immediately say, no, that's not right. Because of this scripture and because of this verse. It it has amazed me. I have spoken with some of you after services or at a feast or at a new moon celebration or whatever. And I've sat and talked. I remember Sister Phyllis specifically amazed me one time. Because we were talking uh, right back there in the back of the sanctuary. And she began to take over the conversation. It was a spiritual conversation about a text of Scripture. I can't even remember what it was. But she took the conversation over. And I just let her talk. And I was sitting there like, Okay, all the labor that I've been doing is paying off. Sister Phyllis knows what she's talking about. She would cite the verse. Tell me what the verse meant. And I mean, I mean, I just, you know, she got through and I shook her hand. I said, Sister Phyllis, you don't even know how much you just blessed me. And that's happened. That's happened with many of you in here. And I wonder, is it getting through? <laughs> is it getting through? I know he always says his word won't return void. But sometimes when you study and you labor and it's, it's in your mind and in your heart and you want everybody to understand so that they can better themselves in their scriptural knowledge. And in how they live, their way of life. I, I teach the Bible so that you know how to serve Yahweh better. That's what that's what my job is. That's my job description. To teach the scriptures so that you understand them better and you know better how to serve Yahweh. Not so that you just hang on my on my tassel and rely on me to tell you everything. But but think about this. Everybody in the days of Moses wasn't Moses. Everybody didn't come in with Yahweh like Moses did. They would come and ask Moses if they had a dispute. Genuine teachers, genuine elders in the faith are there to help guide you. Elders, plural, not one, but elders, plural. Are there to help guide you in spiritual matters. Men that dedicate their life to the study of the Bible. That's why I taught this text. Not because I'm going to take up an offer, Not because I want your money. I don't. You'll never hear me teach about this subject again until maybe I'm teaching through a text and I run across a, a tithe text or an offering text or something like that. So I'm not going to sit up here and hold my Bible and say, "Well, a man rob God? <laughs> you rob me in tithes and offerings, right? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to use the word deceitfully. That's right. Brothers and sisters, I love you. I do not want you to be deceived by televangelists. Nobody needs million dollar jets. Nobody needs fancy clothes. Yeshua says foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man, the Son of the Virgin, the Hebrew Matthew says, hath no place to lay His head. That doesn't mean it's wrong for somebody to work a good and honest job and be rich, but I'm just saying that it's not, it's not a necessity. It's not necessary. I believe if you saw Yeshua, he probably would just look like a very plain man. Isaiah fifty three says that it wasn't he wasn't comely, he wasn't beautiful to look upon. I know the paintings show this Vidal Sassoon Jesus, right? But it, Isaiah fifty three says he wasn't a wasn't a beautiful person. Just a common person. Didn't probably didn't get a bath every night. Dirty feet. Hair dirty hair. Big beard. They plucked it out. Humble Humble man. Humbled himself. Could have called twelve legions of angels down to take care of the problem on the cross, but he hung there because of his love. Because of the Father's love. This is our example. A man should never enter into a ministerial position to make money. He should be provided for, but he should never enter there to make money. I should live a humble, modest life. He should pray the prayer in Proverbs. He says, don't make me rich so that I forget Yahweh. Don't make me poor so that I rob and steal. But feed me with the food that's convenient. Provide my needs. Don't fall for the charlatans in the world. Remember what the Didache said. If he asks for money, he is a false prophet. Yahweh bless you. Shalom.